thank you all for joining in uh, on this webinar with dr anil lamba uh, i'll give a brief introduction about himself so he is a, a best selling author financial literary activist and the director of langkol school of management dr lamba is a practicing chartered accountant with degrees in commerce law and a doctorate in taxation his training programs are held internationally with a client list of over 1000 medium and large size corporations he has conceptualized financially financial literacy for all a movement towards creating a financially intelligent india he has also written several books including the best seller romancing the balance sheet uh, thank you dr lamba for joining us for this webinar my pleasure and over to you for the presentation thank you thank you so much so all those of you who have already logged in welcome we have a one hour session now on romancing the balance sheet um you know we'll interact through the chat box i think there's also an option of q and a but i realize if i keep too many windows open on my screen i can't see my own presentation so let's all uh, interact through the chat mode can somebody from the audience just give me a thumbs up that you can see the screen you can hear me clearly am i audible can somebody send me a message so i can then i'll proceed have the chat box in front of me okay good 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 okay wonderful wonderful thank you very much so folks let's begin um i obviously have no idea about the background of the people attending today so i don't know your existing level of knowledge i don't know where should i start uh, normally that helps so pardon me if i uh, ask you some elementary questions to begin with because uh, since i don't know your backgrounds it is only fair that i address the weakest link in the audience today so so idea is to create a level playing field so that i can take everybody along so bear with me if uh, for for 2 3 4 minutes if i ask you some very basic questions uh, so let's begin folks let me start by i'm sorry sometimes this happens in zoom mr going forward it goes backward now let's get introduced to a balance sheet since the session is about romancing the balance sheet let me begin by with a 101 on the balance sheet folks this balance sheet uh, as many of you would be aware uh, shows two sides of the balance sheet one side shows liabilities the other side shows assets uh, you know accountants prepared these statements in a t format today the tendency is when this information reaches you it is in a vertical fashion but i being an accountant by qualification that's the format i am comfortable with so the two sides of a balance sheet one side represents liabilities other side represents assets now frankly these are nothing but they represent where the money has come from and where the money has gone so liabilities tell you where the money has come from it can be called sources and assets tell you what you did with the money you know why is this why does the statement always balance you must be aware balance sheet always balances but that's not the reason why it's called a balance sheet lots of people think a balance sheet is called a balance sheet because it balances that's not true the word balance in a balance sheet has got nothing to do with a weighing scale balance uh, but the two sides always balance now why do they balance i get very exotic answers when i ask this question but again a straightforward answer is a one side represents sources and the other side represents users so if you go to all these guys on the left hand side and borrow let's say 100 rupees or 100 crores of rupees and then spend 100 crores and acquire assets worth 100 crores it is bound to balance uh, some of you might say anil we agree with you if you borrow 100 and spend 100 a balance sheet will balance but what if we don't spend the entire 100 we don't have to what if we borrow 100 and spend 
Now, why will the balance sheet balance? Folks, if you spend 90, then 10 will be in the form of cash in hand, cash at bank. And that is also shown as one of the assets. Money in the bank is also an asset. So if you borrow 100 crores and spend 100 crores, balance sheet will balance. If you borrow 100 and spend 90, balance sheet will still balance. And is it possible for you to borrow 100 and spend 110? That is also possible. So if you spend 110, then the 10 will appear on the liability side as a payable, as an outstanding, as a creditor. Now you realize you cannot visualize a situation where a balance sheet won't balance, whether you spend what you have or you spend less than what you have or you spend more than what you have, provided you guys agree with me. One side represents sources, other side represents uses. So tell me where, let's, let's prove this. Where does an organization get money from? When you start a new business and you set up an organization, it needs money. Where does it get the money from? The first person it goes to, Sachin, who are the investors? The first person it goes to are the owners. You must understand, folks, when an organization needs money, it has only one option. And that option is borrow. Who does an organization borrow from? It borrows from the owner. Now, this may sound like a slight contradiction in terms. You don't borrow from owners. You borrow from outsiders. But folks, owners are also considered to be outsiders as an entity, legal entity. I mean, even if there is no legal entity, even if you're a proprietary concern, theoretically, for accounting purposes, we treat the organization as different from the owner. If you start a legal entity like a company or a something, then genuinely there are two uh, legal entities. But even if it's a proprietary concern, the distinction is notional. But accounts are always written in the books of the organization. So organizations borrow from the owners. Borrowing from owners is called capital. And borrowings from outsiders is called loan. But since both are in the nature of borrowings, both are shown as liabilities. Tell me what is the difference between owners as lenders and let's say a banker as a lender. What's the difference? The difference is in the terms of lending. On what terms do bankers and outsiders lend? On what terms do owners lend? Folks, you will appreciate nobody will ever lend. No lender will ever lend without asking a series of due diligence kind of questions. So let's, let's give it a business. Let's say this company wants to start, let's say one of you, Sachin over here, Sachin wants to start a furniture manufacturing organization. And let's say Sachin sets up an organization and calls his uh, proprietary concern or a company, Globe Furnitures. Now Globe Furnitures needs money. So Globe Furnitures goes to Mr. Sachin, goes Globe Furnitures goes to a banker and says, guys, give us money, give me money. No lender will lend the money without asking due diligence questions. What kind of questions will they ask? Questions designed to understand the need for money, the ability to intelligently deploy the money, the ability to generate revenue, the ability to service the loan and the ability to repay the loan. So when Glow Furnitures went to Mr. Sachin and went to Mr. City Banker and said, give us, give me money. Both these people must have asked these questions. Globe, tell us, why, why do you want the money? What will you do? Where will you invest? How much do you think you will earn? What will you give us as reward if we give you the money? And the million dollar question, where are you going to give it back? What answer they must have received? Answer received must have been, Globe Furnitures must have said, gentlemen, I'm asking for money because I intend setting up a furniture manufacturing organization. So you know what? I'm going to take your money. First of all, I will use to buy some wonderful assets for myself. Then I will use your money to buy raw materials. I will use your money to hire people. And then when my product is ready, I will use your money to do sales and marketing. And then I will make profit. And when I make profit, Mr. Sachin, I'm going to reward you. Mr. Banker, I'm going to reward you also. And both these people must have said, Glow Furnitures, we have no doubt at all. When you earn, of course, you will reward us. But our worry is something else. Our worry is you think you're going to earn. 
Can you please tell us what will happen in case you don't earn? Folks, if Globemaster said, gentlemen, if I earn, I'll reward you. If I don't earn, how can I reward you? Listening to this kind of an answer, out of these two lenders, one will chicken out, one will back out. Who will back out, folks? Obviously, the banker. The banker is going to say, Globe Furnitures, if my returns are going to depend upon whether you earn or you don't earn, then I'm sorry, I'm not interested in lending. I will lend you in one condition. What is the condition? Guarantee me a return. And Globemaster said, banker, that's pretty unfair. If I don't earn, how can I reward you? But we all know there are times in life where beggars can't be choosers. Folks, if you want the banker's money, you'll also have to agree to the banker's conditions. So reluctantly, Globemaster said, all right, Mr. Banker, you expect me to continue giving you a return, giving you a reward, even when I'm losing? I'll agree to that because I have no choice. I need your money badly. But then Globemaster said, Mr. Banker, even I have a couple of requests. Request number one. You expect me to continue giving you a return even when I'm losing? Then first of all, Mr. Banker, don't keep your expectations sky high. You know, you want a reasonable kind of a return? Maybe I'll be able to afford it even when I'm losing. Let's say the banker must have said, I'm happy with 10%. And Globe must have said, Mr. Banker, request number two, if you expect me to give you 10% when I'm losing, then on the other hand, don't forget, I might also make money and I may make tons of money. Then you don't keep an eye on that. If I'm going to give you 10% when I lose, I will give you the same 10% when I make pots of money. Banker must have said, fair enough. I'd rather have the assurance of a guaranteed return than have the possibility of a very high return and one year and nothing in a year. Point I'm trying to make is on what terms do outsider lend the money, outsider lend the money on the condition, give us a guaranteed but a limited amount of it. Now to this conversation, Sachin is listening. This conversation between Globe and the bank. Sachin now turns around and says, Globe, I am not like the bank. I am not so unreasonable. I understand you will have ups and downs in your life. There are some years you'll make money. There are some years you will not make money. Sachin says, Globe, take my money. No need to make promises. In other words, if you don't earn, I'm okay if you don't give me anything. But then Sachin says, Globe, you understand I'm taking a risk. I might get nothing. So Sachin says, Globe, if you don't earn, no need to give me anything. But on the other hand, when you earn, and after everybody's been paid off, I will take everything. Is that also fair? Folks, on what condition do outsiders lend the money? Give us a guaranteed but a limited amount of return. Owners lend money on the condition. Don't want guarantees but then don't want limits on how much we can earn either. Tell me, is everyone okay so far? Just give me a yes or a no, just to know that you're around still. Yep. Okay. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, but because I'm going to try and make it as interactive as possible within the constraints of being uh, online, right? So let, let's say, I, I may not be always be able to Read your messages when I'm in the flow, maybe because distract, but wherever possible, I will. So feel free to keep sending questions and this and that. All right, folks, now we will try and create a balance sheet. Let's create a balance sheet. This company wanted money. So Globe went to the owners. Let's say the owners put in 400. Let's make the number large, 400 crores. And the bankers gave them 600 crores. This company needed 1,000 crores, 400 came from the owner, 600 came from the bankers. Then this money will get deployed. Excellent assets are purchased. Assets are put into use. And now this company starts generating revenue. Imagine on deployment of 1,000 crores, this company generates a sales turnover of maybe 3,000 crores. So far, nobody has been paid. I want you guys to visualize and tell me how many groups of claimants can you visualize standing in a line saying, I want a share of 3,000 crores. Let's have some interaction. How do you think this gross turnover of an organization gets distributed? How many claimants are there? 
Sachin Bank, of course, employees have to be paid salary, owner has to be paid. Sachin is the right guy to say owner has to be paid. He's thinking of himself. Who else? That's the shareholders, of course. Who else? How will this 3,000 be distributed? Salaries have to be paid. Taxes have to be paid. Very good, Ashish. Suppliers have to be paid. Raw materials have to be paid. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So, folks, this company has to pay the landlord. They have to pay the vendors. They have to pay employees. They have to pay printer, stationer, travel agent, water, telephone bill. But these are items I want groups. So, can I say all these items comprise one group called operating expenses? So one of the groups standing in a line would be operating expenses. Second group would be shareholders and owners. Third group would be lenders. And the fourth group will be government for income tax. Here the government is for income tax, not for GST. GST is part of operating expenses. Please understand, irrespective of the nature of business, whatever sales revenue an organization generates will get distributed between these four groups but not in this order. Can you now help me choose the order? Whose claim will they entertain first? Vendors, they, okay, why, why single out vendors? No? no, not banks, not banks. No, no, Ashish, not lenders is not first. No, no, no gov Sachin, government uh, for income tax, no. Country needs more people like you, Sachin. But no, government is not the first one to be paid. Operating, absolutely right, Abhinash. First of the month comes, salary has to be paid. On the due date, vendors have to be paid. Overheads have to be paid. Let's imagine this organization's operating expenses happen to be 1,600 crores. How much is left now? 1,400. What is this 1,400 called? This has a name. What is this 1,400 called? <laughs> a bit da. Uh, if you remove the da portion, I'll agree. Such a no, not gross profit. For gross profit, I'll have to split the 1600 into two portions. When I minus the first portion, it's gross profit. When I minus second portion, Shreyans, I agree with you. This is either called the operating profit. Or folks tell me, what kind of profit is this? This is that stage of profit where from sales, you have recovered the operating expenses, but you still have not paid three more. You haven't paid dividends to the shareholders. You haven't paid interest to the lenders. You haven't paid income tax to the government. So this is also called PBIT, profit, but before interest, before tax. So Mitesh, you said before tax, but it's also before interest, right? In fact, even before dividend, which is not mentioned over here, or it is called EBIT, earnings before interest and tax. The DA portion, Gaurav, stands for depreciation and amortization. Depreciation and amortization have already been deducted as operating expenses. So if you do not deduct depreciation and amortization, then it becomes EBITDA. So far, okay. Now, how many groups are left? Three. Whose turn now? Shredev, you're in a hurry to pay the government. Not the government yet. Yes, Avinash, we pay the lenders now. How much has this company borrowed? They borrowed 600 at the rate of 10%. So you pay 60. How much is left? 1340. What is the 1340 called? From PBIT, I has been paid. So what is left is PBT, profit before tax. Now two groups are left. Shareholders and government. Now who do we pay? Now we pay the lenders. Absolutely, right? Because if you pay the shareholders at this stage, there'll be nothing left for the lenders. Shareholders will take everything. Imagine the uh, uh, tax works out to 340. That leaves you with a thousand. What is this figure called? This is now called the profit after tax. Back. Very right. Who does this belong to? This belongs to the shareholders. Who's our shareholder? Our shareholder is Sachin. We have a single shareholder. So now in the line, Sachin is standing. He reminds Globe Furnitures, Globe Furnitures, I had told you, if you don't earn, I will take nothing. But on the other hand, when you earn and after everybody's been paid off, I will take everything. So Sachin says, now Globe, this thousand crores, please give it to me. So what do you think? Will Globe give it to Sachin or no? Yes? Most likely no. Most likely no. 
Why will they not give it to him? It was his condition. The condition put forward by Sachin was, if you don't make money, I will take nothing. Had they not made money, they definitely would have paid him nothing. His second condition was, when you do make profit and after everybody has been paid off, I will take everything. Having said yes, why are they not giving it to him? No company gives the entire profit to shareholders. So even though they agreed to give it to him, this company will start now having a change of heart. They will start negotiating with him. They say, Sachin, we said everything belongs to you. And of course, it does belong to you. But tell me, why will they not give it to him? Why don't companies give the entire profit to shareholders? Most likely. Anyone? Growth? Business continuity? You know, whenever I ask this question, I get all these similar answers. This company needs money for future growth, for expansion, for business continuity, for exigencies, for emergencies. They still haven't repaid the loan to the banker, etc., etc., etc. And my reaction always is, I will accept all your answers as reason number two for not giving it to such a but there is a more important reason, number one, why this profit has not been given to the owners. Fault is mine. We started abruptly in the middle of it. Ideally, this stage, what I started with, should have been preceded by two, three, four hours of other discussion, where I would have explained a few concepts. Since I haven't, you'll have to take my word for it. Folks, one of the, let's say, hard truths of business is, which most entrepreneurs experience very, very soon after starting a business is that there is no connection between the profit that a company makes and the bank balance that it possesses. And in fact, if there is a connection, it's an inverse relationship. Higher the profit, lower the bank balance. So, you know, so-called non-finance people, according to me, that creature doesn't exist. But so-called non-finance people, in their minds, think profit means money. No statement can be further than the truth. Folks, profit is a figure. Money is a different ball game. And therefore, successful companies, I've always said, stand on two pillars. Pillar number one is the ability to generate profit. If your company makes a profit, you have won half the battle. Pillar number two is the ability to manage cash flow. So if this company has a profit of 1,000 crores, and even if they would love to give it to Sachin, but folks, to give it to Sachin, they not only need a profit of 1,000 crores, they will require a bank balance of 1,000 crores, which according to me is impossible. A company having a profit of 1,000 crores, which is accompanied by a bank balance of 1,000 crores, I think is impossible. But a company having a profit of 1,000 crores, which is accompanied by a bank balance of negative 600 crores, is absolutely possible. I'm not saying it doesn't. It never happens. There are apples and there are Infosys, which are loaded with cash, but which, according to me, is a weakness, not the strength of the company, which today's session will not... We won't have time to discuss that. In fact, uh, uh, if profit is not accompanied by money, there's no problem in that. In fact, I would get worried if the profit was accompanied by money. The statement might sound strange to you. And today we don't have the time to elaborate on it. Uh, so, so right now, my limited question was, why is this profit not being given to Sachin? Is Where is the money? If you know, if you are yourself an entrepreneur or if you have friends who are entrepreneurs, see how often this statement comes from the bottom of the heart of entrepreneurs. Which statement? Where is the money? Accountants tell me I have made so much turnover, I have made so much profit, but in the bank I don't have money to pay salary this month. The biggest mystery that confront businessmen is where is the money? Assuming this company had a thousand crore profit and a thousand crore bank balance, they still would not have given it to Sachin. Then your other arguments we would have taken into account. Globe would have convinced Sachin, Sachin, why are we making so much profit? Because we are successful. Because we are successful, there are so many opportunities of growth, so many opportunities of expansion. Sachin, if you take all this money home, how will this company grow? Besides, of course, they convinced Sachin, Sachin, all you've given us is 400. I mean, had you put this 400 anywhere else instead of giving it to us, you would have earned 5%, 10%, 15%, 20%. As the 
projects become riskier and riskier, rates can go higher. They say, we can give you 30, 40, 50% debit, but don't take the entire 1,000 crores away. And who is Sachin? Sachin is the owner of this company. He understands if it is in the interest of the company not to give it to me, and I happen to be the owner of that company, then it is in my interest not to take it away. Sachin says, no problem, Globe. You can't give me 1,000 crores. Doesn't matter. How much can you give me? 50%? Give me 50%. How much money did Sajin invest in this company? 400. How much is 50%? Of 400. 50% of 400, not 1000. That's 200. So give him a dividend of 200. How much is left now? 800. Who does this belong to? Who does this belong to? Can you see some answers? Company. Avinash, you are absolutely right. Folks, this 800 does not belong to the company. It continues to belong to Sachin. Please understand when Sachin accepted 200 out of a profit of 1000, he did not waive his right over the remaining 800. He simply said, Globe, you can't give me a 1000. Doesn't matter how much can you give me? 200? Give me 200. Use my 800. So now tell me, till yesterday, how much money did this company owe Sachin? 400, which is shown as a liability. Today, how much money does this company owe Sachin? The 400 they still owe. And now they owe him another 800. So the 800 of undistributed profit also appears on the liability side. Again, very often non-finance people get a little foxed. How come undistributed profit? This is the profit lying with you. How come you show it as a liability? Answer is profits are shown as liabilities because they belong to the owner. And if you don't give it to the owner, then you owe it to the owner. Now tell me, what is this 4 plus 8 together called? Capital of this company, 400. Reserves, 800. Together, 1200. What is this 1200 called? It has got a name. 200 has been subtracted. Now, she's from 1000. Oh, are you saying from capital? This 200 is not the return of capital. It is a return on capital. Imagine you went and put a fixed deposit. I'll come to you, Binoy. You're on the right track. Suppose you have put a fixed deposit in the bank of 400. Now, banker gave you an interest of 200. Your fixed deposit is still 400. So you don't deduct 200 from that 400. So this 1200, as Binoy correctly points out, is now called the shareholders net worth. Right? Folks, if you recall, this discussion started when I asked you a question. Why does a balance sheet balance? And I said balance sheets balance because one side represents sources and the other side represents users. I was trying to prove to you. Does the left-hand side represent sources? So tell me that 400 crores, is that a source of money? Answer is yes. Who gave it to you? The owner, Sachin gave it to you. That 800 crores reserves, is that a source of money? Answer is yes. Who gave it to you? Again, Sachin gave it to you. In the first case, Sachin directly invested the money. In the second case, he may not have physically invested, but he left behind something he was legitimately entitled to take home. Because another way of looking at it is you should treat that entire thousand crores was given to Sachin. And Sachin kept 200 for himself and said, I want to put 800 back into the company. So today, Sachin's total contribution to this company is 1200. So first item, is it a source? Yes. Owner gave it to you. Second item, is it a source? Yes. Owner gave it to you. Third item, is it a source? Yes. Who gave it to you? A banker. And folks, organizations not only go to banks and borrow money, but they also have a tendency of going to goods suppliers and services suppliers and say, give us goods and services and we'll pay you a month later, two months later, three months later. Those items appear here as creditors. Do creditors represent a source of money? Answer is yes. What is the difference between that loan I have written over there and creditors? Answer is in case of a loan, some banker gave you money. 
in case of a creditors they did not give you loan in cash but they gave you loan in kind and now you realize the left hand side of the balance sheet is nothing but a collection of sources how many sources in any organization two owners outsiders both give you in two ways direct indirect so far so good everyone i'll take a two second i'll wait right now to see any questions so far all these items are clear to everyone yep quite a few participants not not very participative participants are we all right folks the key question to be answered is thanks thanks ron <laughs> the key question to be answered is why is this organization going around borrowing money from everybody they are borrowing from the owners they are borrowing from outsiders they are borrowing directly they are borrowing indirectly do you think this is an arbitrary collection of money or must it be as per a design what do you think do you think this is a random collection of sources or must it be as per a plan let's have some answers folks lose it up a bit do you think this is a random collection of sources or must it be as per a plan you know if this company wants to survive this better be as per a plan but it is not funny how often it is not and entrepreneurs therefore often sow the seeds of sickness even before the business has taken off because the money comes without a plan imagine this money has come without a plan it was a random selection what will happen folks if this money has come without a plan then you can visualize one out of two things happening when sachin starts investing this money on behalf of glow he will either find that halfway through acquisition of assets he runs out of money because money has come without a plan or he will find he is able to buy all the assets that he wanted and there is money left over folks if the money has come without a plan you are either going to run short of money or you are going to have excess money tell me which is a happier state of affairs should an organization have less money than the need or should it have more money than the need which is better should they have less or more okay let's examine both let's imagine they had less money imagine sachin wanted to make a hotel he the money came without a plan he did not go to an architect he did not get a plan made he didn't know how much it's going to cost him he raised money at random and now he invested the money because money came without a plan he he wanted to make a 100 story building by the time he reached the 60th floor he ran out of money how will he run his hotel folks if you have less money than you need you will get into trouble if you have more money than you need i think you will get into bigger trouble i am now giving you a mantra of good finance management and that mantra says please remember less is bad more is worse i think how less is bad one can readily appreciate how can more be worse unfortunately i will not be able to explain that today i need at least 2 3 hours more of input before i reach that level but folks remember what i'm telling you right now write it down somewhere this rule applies across life if you're in the field of manufacturing tell me what kind of installed capacity should you have in your factory less than necessary or more than necessary less is bad more is worse what kind of inventory should you hold in your warehouse less than necessary or more than necessary what kind of manpower should you have on your rolls less than necessary or more than necessary how much credit should you offer your customers less or more remember less is bad more is worse what kind of blood pressure should we have in our body less is bad more is worse this rule applies across life 
So what I'm now trying to tell you is how much money to raise in a business is a matter of art. Because if you land up raising less money than you need, you will get into trouble. If you raise more money than you need, you will get into bigger trouble. Then how do we know how much money to raise? That answer will be given to you by the right side of your balance sheet. And therefore, in my opinion, if you're in a position to start a new business, a new enterprise, a new project, folks, first exercise you must do is to prepare an imaginary balance sheet of the business or project that you intend to start. And which side of the imaginary balance sheet will you make first? The right hand side. Visualize till the last penny possible. Folks, if this business of mine has to succeed, if this project of mine has to see the light of day, then how much money do I need? How much for land? How much for building? How much for machine? And no guessing, folks. If you say I need so much money for land, I have to assume you have gone, scouted for land, shortlisted the land, negotiated the price, signed the document to freeze the price, then you're saying so much money for land. In other words, every figure that you put on the right hand side should be a thought out figure. Once your right hand side is ready, what do you do? Total it up. How much money do I need for this business of mine to succeed? Let's say it comes to 1000 crores. Now look inside, left-hand side, first item. Your business needs a thousand crores. How much do you have? Oh, I just have 400. So the next realistic exercise has to be, then where's the difference going to come from? Who's going to be willing to give it to me? That is called capital structure planning. And once a blueprint has been created, this much money is required. This is the way I propose to fund it. Now, folks, when you start the real thing, start with the left-hand side. First, invest the money that you propose investing out of pocket. Simultaneously start the process of borrowing. And once money comes in, you start investing. Now I want you to help me visualize the right side of this balance sheet. What will Sachin do with this money? Where will he invest? Folks, a sizable proportion of this money, Mr. Sachin will use for acquiring infrastructure. If he wants to set up a furniture manufacturing organization, he needs land, he needs building, he needs factories, he needs machinery. These items appear in your balance sheet on the right-hand side under a heading called fixed assets. Folks, let's Sachin invest a pretty large percentage of money on the acquisition of infrastructure. But Sachin better make sure that he does not exhaust his resources in the process of creating infrastructure alone. Sachin has to make sure that once infrastructure has been set up, he has still money left. Why? Because he will now require a continuous supply of something known as working capital. So can you help me visualize components of working capital? Why does Sachin need working capital? Anyone? Can I have some in, some of you just to make sure you're still awake and you are thinking? He needs to pay salaries, Kailash says. Ashish says daily expenses. Again, salaries. Raw material, wonderful. Inventory. Let's imagine, let's imagine Sachin wanted to start the finest furniture manufacturing organization in the country. He wanted to be the best. Because he wanted to be the best, he also wanted the best quality infrastructure. So when Sachin went to buy the infrastructure, for a moment, imagine he got carried away in his desire to be the best. He landed up spending more money on infrastructure than he should have. What is the result? The result is today Sachin has the finest infrastructure in the country to make furniture, but no money left for working capital. And let's imagine next day Abhinav Jha lands up over there and Abhinav says, Sachin, I am starting a new IT company and in my organization, I need a hundred crores worth of tables and chairs alone. 
and looking at your infrastructure, Sachin, I think you are the best person in the country to supply it to me. I am very happy to place an order of 100 crores with you. Will Sachin be able to execute the order? Answer is no. Why not? No working capital. So let's visualize components of working capital. Why does he need working capital? Folks, Sachin is a very lucky person. He started the factory yesterday. Today, Abhinav walks in with an order. But Sachin will have to be far luckier than that for Abhinav to say, Sachin, I've not only brought you an order of 100 crores, but my order of 100 crores comes along with a check of 100 crores. That's not going to happen unless you are exceptionally lucky. Large organizations, clients of mine who I deal with, one, one project of theirs goes into a few thousand crores. They consider themselves lucky if they can command an advance of 5%, 5%. And of course, one of the things we teach them is how to run the whole project on that 5% money. That's a different ballgame. So folks, Sachin has to understand this order of Abhinav of 100 crores in that the wood component is 60 crores. Unless Sachin possesses the financial capability not only to buy land, building, plant, machinery, but also to invest 60 crores in inventory. Can he run his business? And as a prudent businessman, he will not buy raw material after the customer has walked in. He will probably buy and maintain an inventory of raw material in anticipation of orders so that the day the customer comes in, production can start right away. So the first component of working capital is entrepreneurs, businesses should have the resources, they have the money first to buy infrastructure and then they need to be able to buy and invest money in inventory. Second component of working capital. Folks, Abhinav's order of 100 crores is a reasonably large order. Sachin will need at least three months to execute that order. But folks, next week is the first of the month. And Sachin's employees are waiting for salary and landlord is waiting for rent and overheads have to be paid. Sachin can't tell his employees, gentlemen, can you just bear with me for three months? The moment Abhinav pays me, I'll pay you your salary. Every business person, every entrepreneur understands expenses are continuous, incomes are sporadic. And therefore, you better hold on to sufficient amounts of cash in hand so that your day-to-day -day expenses can continue to be met irrespective of inflow from operations. And after three months of hard work, Sachin goes to Abhinav. Abhinav, your order is ready. Consignment is ready. Would you like to come, inspect, give me the go-ahead so I can send it to you? Abhinav comes there, takes a look, says, great job done, Sachin, send the goods to me. And Sachin says, Abhinav, all right, what about my check? And Abhinav says, no problem. Come 60 days later and collect your check. Not only Sachin did not get advance, even on delivery, he may not get paid. And he now needs further financial muscle power to be able to last another 60 days. And in the meantime, his business has to continue. Folk, third component of working capital is debtors. Who are debtors? Debtors are people that owe you money. And sometimes people wrongly interpret them as suppliers of money. Why am I calling it a wrong interpretation? If these guys owe you money, aren't they suppliers of money? But folks, you and I have agreed the left-hand side of the sources and right-hand side of the users. If debtors were suppliers of money, should they not be shown on the left-hand side? Why are they appearing on the right-hand side? And the answer is debtors are perhaps future suppliers of money Today, they represent consumers of money. In your balance sheet, if 100 crores appears as receivable, folks, when that customer will give you is a different story. But in that 100 crores, 60 crore of raw material, Sachin has bought and invested. 8 crore of power bill, Sachin had paid. 9 crore of labor cost, Sachin had paid. At great cost, he made this product. And some smart customer says, thank you very much. I'm buying, but I will pay you month, two months, three months later. You are investing in your customers. Tell me, folks, is the structure of balance sheet okay to all of you? What does the left-hand side indicate? Sources. Right-hand side, users. How many sources are there in any organization? Those who feel like keep answering while I'm talking. How many sources are there in any organization? Two. Owners, 
outsiders. Both give you in two ways. Owner gives you directly when he invests the money, indirectly when he leaves behind profit. Outsiders give you in two ways, directly when they give you loans in cash, indirectly when they give you loans in kind. Where does money go in any organization into how many avenues? Two. Money goes towards creation of infrastructure represented by fixed assets. And money goes towards working capital, which is represented by current assets. Components of working capital, maximum three. Inventory, cash and bank balances, and debtors. Why do I say maximum three? Because if you're not in a product business, product trading or manufacturing, even the service industry, chances are that inventory component could either be missing or negligible. So either you have two items or you have three items. Everyone okay so far? Give me a yes or a no. Any questions up to this point? What is the time? We have about 15 minutes more to go. Everyone okay? Super. So since we have 15 minutes, let me try and give you some very critical input. Of course, we won't have time to go into details. This needs a few hours of discussion. But I'm going to give you the secret of success. Or on the flip side, the reasons for failure. <clears throat> what I'm going to tell you, those who violate, fail. And if you don't violate, you succeed. These are my two golden rules of good finance management. They're not standard rules. These are mine. But folks, bring me a sick company's balance sheet. And I will show you which of the two rules was violated. Uh, of course, you will appreciate these things take long time. And uh, so pardon me if at the end of it, I've just given you a nutshell, but then mull over it. Think about it. What are these two rules? I, are, you, are you aware that out of most businesses that fail in the world, the largest reason for failure in, is financial mismanagement? Not because they had faulty product, not because they were in a, unable to sell, not because their technology was out of date, not because they had labor problems. Of course, these things all cause false failures also. But these causes put together are not even responsible for 5 or 10% of business failures. And over 90% of businesses that fail in the world, the reason is financial mismanagement. And why does that? I'm so tempted to just, you know, my problem is when you start, it gets very tempting. So I'll have to curb myself. I'll have to see the time so that we don't uh, shoot beyond that. Uh, why does it happen? Funnily, I'll give you a two-line answer. It happens because, you know, you can set right what you know is your responsibility. If your product is faulty, the production guys will put their heads together to find out where is the fault. If your design is faulty, the design guys will put together. If you can make and not sell, then the marketing and sales guys realize we have to pull, pull up our socks. But when your finance is faulty, who pulls up the socks? The so-called finance guys. But folks, everybody in the company is a finance person. You call the people working in the finance department as finance people. They are not the only finance people. In fact, they are the ones who come into the picture the last. Every production decision has a financial implication. Every sales decision has a financial implication. Every hiring decision has a financial implication. So funnily, folks, more finance management, or let us say financial mismanagement, happens outside the finance department than in the finance department. And therefore, the real finance people don't even call themselves finance people. So how do you set right what you think is not even your responsibility? And this inability to understand. Inability to understand what? That finance management is everybody's responsibility. This inability is responsible for over 90% of businesses to fail in the world. 90% of businesses that fail 
out of all the businesses that fail, over 90% fail due to bad finance management. And I'm giving you an antidote to that. According to me, good finance management. What is good finance? Ashish, no, no choice here. Neither we'll be sitting here till night and post. <laughs> uh, okay, now listen to this carefully. See how much you can imbibe. Folks, first thing you must understand, and most business people don't understand. It may sound odd. How can most business people don't understand? But trust me, I am meeting business people and entrepreneurs and corporates all the while. This is the hobby turned activity for me. And it is a process of discovery for me. I used to assume everybody knows thinking we all learned later. People know it from before. And then it is the process of discovery, how little people know. And when they think they know how many misconceptions this subject has. First thing you must understand, folks. If what does the left hand side of the balance sheet indicate? Sources. What does the right hand side indicate? Uses. First thing you must remember that out of all these sources, none of them are free. Folks, sources come at a cost. You might say, all right, so what? What's the big deal? Because if sources have a cost, what have you done with these sources? You have gone and deployed it on the right hand side. What have you used this, these sources to buy? You have used these sources to acquire some fantastic assets. And what kind of assets are these? Hopefully, these are productive assets. So if sources of money, as represented on the left side of the balance sheet, have a cost attached to them, in the utilization of money appearing on the right side of the balance sheet, possess an ability to earn. And the first rule of good finance management says, you should never ever invest money in your business without ensuring what you can earn from the right hand side is at least equal to, preferably greater than, the cost of the left hand side. What does the rule say? Rule says, remember, left side has a cost, right side possesses an ability to earn. You should invest your money only after making sure what you can earn from the right hand side is equal to or greater than the cost of the left hand side. Where are the misconceptions here? According to me, you know, right now, imagine I was addressing a room full of entrepreneurs, physically, 100 entrepreneurs sitting, and I do it very often. You see, to make sure you don't violate this rule, what is the prerequisite? You should know your cost of capital. How can you make sure earning equal to or greater than cost of capital unless you know your cost of capital? You ask a room full of 100 entrepreneurs, how many of you know your cost of capital? You know what happens? For the first 15 to 30 seconds after asking this question, nothing happens. Then reluctantly, one, two or three hands go up. That means 97% of the people are saying, I don't even know what you're talking about. And the three hands that do go up, when I start quizzing them, I realize their interpretation of cost of capital and what I would explain if I had the time, this pulls apart. First rule says, the cost should be lesser than or equal to the earnings or earnings should be equal to or greater than the cost. There's a company called Bain owned by Mitt Romney, US politician. Bain Software, Bain Research, many divisions it has, large company. Even in India, it's there in Bangalore. 
I have, of course, been speaking about this for many years, but I was reading a report by Bain and Company that Bain and Company said in the US, nine out of 10, nine out of 10 companies do not even earn equal to the cost of capital. That means they're violating rule number one. But there's a second rule also. Imagine you invest in a money where you're earning equal to or greater. There's another reason if I had the time or to explain why do I say right side should earn equal to the cost? Why should I not say only more than the cost? Why am I repeating equal to? There's a reason for that. Even equal to is good enough. But imagine you do earn equal to or greater than the cost. That's still not enough. Because the second rule has to be uh, adhered to. And the second rule says, gentlemen, not only is it important that right hand side can earn for you equal to or greater than the cost, but it is equally important. You've got to remember that the sources on the left hand side are not gifts. We show them under a heading called liabilities. What does that mean? That means every person who has given you the money today is the same person who will be standing outside your door sometime or the other saying, I want it back. These are liabilities, not gifts. It's not a one-way traffic. But you took this money and deployed it on the right-hand side. But the guys on the left-hand side will expect it back sometime or the other. How will you give it back? And therefore, the right-hand side will have to generate and inflow. You see, left-hand side finances the right-hand side. And the right-hand side generates the inflow to pay back the left-hand side. But what is important is right-hand side should generate an inflow before the right-hand left-hand side demands an outflow. If you haven't understood the rule, the fault is completely mine. I need much more time, but I will repeat. Balance sheet, one side tells you where the money has come from. Right hand side tells you where the money has gone. The two golden rules are, remember, always remember, left hand side has a cost. Right hand side can earn. Your business has to generate. The right hand side of your balance sheet has to generate a return, which is equal to or greater than the cost on the left hand side. If it does happen, not enough. Secondly, you must remember liabilities have to be paid back. And therefore, assets have the power to earn for you and bring that money in. But it is important that the assets bring the money in before the liabilities demand that money out. As I said, bring me a sick company's balance sheet and I will tell you which of these two rules were violated. Right now in this downturn, you see companies going sick left, right and center, even before COVID, not only now. Most cases you will find it is because of the second rule. And very often first rule is also violated. I'm not, I'm resisting the temptation to name names right now. All of us know these names, the biggest names around you. Folks, I always, doesn't matter how much time you give me in this subject, at the end of it, I feel short. So right now, inside, I'm, I'm feeling a little uh, uh, tussle. That, but even if I had a couple more hours, I would have felt equally bad. So let's have a little question answers. Uh, uh, Ashish says, any difference between liabilities and cost of capital? Folks, the cost of your liabilities is the cost of capital. <laughs> You see, I said most business people don't even know cost of capital. Forget knowing cost of capital. They don't even know how much of the capital. How much of the capital of this company that balance sheet is in front of you? Can you tell me? If you want to work out cost of capital, you should know how much is the capital. The total of this balance sheet, I have not totaled it. How much does it work out to? 2000? 4 plus 8 plus 6 plus 2, left hand side. How much is the capital of this company, guys? Anyone? Owner has contributed 400, reserves are 800, loans are 600, creditors are 200. How much is the capital of this company? Whose cost we need to figure out? Ashish says 2000, Abhinav says 1800. Anyone else? Ashish Sachde says, 
thousand. Then I again eighteen hundred, two thousand. Wonderful. My usual experience is when I ask this question, in the next few seconds I get to hear every combination on the left hand side. But I completely agree with the answer that Ashish and Abhinav and others have given. Two thousand. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for taking out the time. Uh, we have to learn to romance the balance sheet. Balance sheet should not intimidate. Balance sheet should not scare. Fall in love with your balance sheet and the benefit that you will reap, folks, if you're entrepreneurs particularly, are huge, huge. Thank you for your time, sir. And thank you all attendees.